0: Uh, actually, can I take that whole bit again? Yeah, sure. Uh, do you mind? I know it's actually, quite let long. Me blow my
1: no- let me blow my nose first. <laughs> actually, a bad... Stop laughing. That's actually a really important phoneme in my con line um...
0: <laughs> Remember we offhandedly mentioned in the last show uh, about getting like an, an artifacts of space? Yeah. Which is obviously not gonna happen, like, or at least not in the immediate future. Not in the next six months. Not in the next six months. It's possibly a bit of a liberal uh, estimation there, but you know, fair enough. Um but a uh, Redditor by who goes by the handle U slash lawn lawnmower parades? Lawnmower yep. parades. Um came up with a couple of names that I just thought were really funny. Uh, And I'll just just list them out there Uh, The Artifexia Complex Or Articomplex Slash Artiflex The Artifactory Slash Artifexory The Palace of Artifexia (laughs) The Artifexian Manor The Heart of Artifexia (laughs) A.K.A. The Artifexia Bill and Edgar's Playground And Bill and Ed's Excellent Adventureland Now, out of those, Bill, right? what, What do you think is the best name?
1: Well, I, I would like to point out that they're not really mutually exclusive. We can have multiple names. Is that not confusing, well, no? No, no. We can have multiple sites. I mean, I don't see Artifexian Manor as being a place where we, we toil and and do the world building and, and, you know, actually rule with an iron fist over Artifexia. Artifexian Manor is like our country estate. Oh, yeah, that we could Where pre- I go and I, I can pretend to be like a Regency era uh, landlord. <laughs>
0: and... Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I, Bill, you're so ambitious with these things. It's like I'm only thinking about having a nice place with a nice desk to make YouTube videos, but you're like, no, no, like we, we need proper real estate everywhere manners, studios, yeah. towers. I like it. It's ambitious. Yeah. Bill, do you know what? We might go
1: places. I think we will. I think we will. I like um, I like Bill and Ed's Excellent Land a lot because I like the film uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I, I
0: like that one too. Although usually I'm against people calling me Ed. Like I really dislike that. Oh, um, do you? Yeah, because well, when I was younger, I used to hate the name Edgar because I was weird. Like I wanted to be called like Kevin or Sean or something, you know, so to, mm. like to be normal like all the rest of the kids. But as I grew up, I was like, I really like the name Edgar. It's kind of unique. And so when people shorten it to Ed, I'm kind of like, no, like, what are you doing? Like, I I already have, like, I think an interesting name. Let's not make it boring. Like, I hate when people do that. And also, Mm -hmm. people sometimes do it on the sort of, like, uh, pretense of, like, we're friends now. Like, very often I'll meet meet a person once and I'll be like, oh, my name's Edgar. They're like, great, Ed. And it's kind of like, we're not on Ed level here, pal. Like, that's a bit presumptuous, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bit presumptuous. Like my name is Edgar, right? Like if we remain friends for a long time, possibly. But if we do remain friends, you'll see that I don't want Ed. So usually I'm against Ed, but I'll go with the pun for Bill and Ted, definitely. So that's mm-hmm. my that's my favorite Bill and Ed's excellent Adventureland. What
1: ab- what about shortening your name to
0: Gar? Gar, but that sounds like it's like short for like Gary. Yeah, or it does. Garfield.
1: Or what about Daga? D-g-a. Like, the, like the the DGA. <laughs> Hi, my name's Dga. Uh,
0: yeah, that would be uh, interesting. I don't know about that one. It's certainly the most interesting of the lot of them, though. But
1: I like Edgar. Edgar's good. I like Edgar as well. D- both as a name and as a person.
0: Oh, oh God. Soppiness. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, your name, right? You're yep. your Bill. Are you Bill on your birth cert or are you William? No, I'm William. You're William. So how like mm. like seeing as everyone calls you Bill, you're obviously okay with the Bill thing. But like do you have any thoughts about this? Do you would you be preferred like would you prefer if artifacts you referred to you as William? No. No?
1: You prefer I'm, Bill? Uh, I no, I I I don't really have much of a preference. It's it's just like the William is my name and the Bill is short for William and I'll go by either of them. I don't like I don't usually go by Will or Billy or oh, William. Oh Billy, no Billy, Billy. Billy and Willie is not. It's not good. um Because there are other people who I know, like, like in my kind of immediate circles, called that. And I had, like, an uncle who was Billy, so we'd have the same name. So it would have been confusing for me to be called Billy as well.
0: Hmm. Come here. Why is William shortened to Bill and not as standard Will? Um. What's that about? Like, you no, know, I
1: actually, I read, I read the reason for this the other week and I cannot remember it, but it happens a lot. It happens with Rob as well. Robert becomes Bob. Yeah. And Richard becomes Dick. That's really unfortunate. So there's uh there's a few names and I I did read the, the reason for it recently, or at least a proposed reason. Um and I cannot re- remember it right now.
0: Hmm, yeah. I don't know, it's like I, I, I thought about it uh, a while back and was like, has it something to do with like place? Of articulation, like, you know, like, W, W is a labial sound, and then so is B, and is it just a thing where, like, it they're so the same that it, like, shifts over time? Say that again? So, like, it, I'm wondering, is the, the bill coming from William? I wonder, is that, like, a function of uh, uh place uh, of articulation? Because, yeah. Yeah, because, like, okay. it would be weird if William shortened to, like, I don't know, till. Like, that would make no sense. But it seems like most of them tend to, like, shorten to a similar place of articulation. Now, I can't explain Rob and Bob. I don't know what's going on there. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I always
1: wonder that. Uh, it. looks like here, it might just have been a a rhyming thing. Because people liked to use rhyming slang and r- rhyme names in the Middle Ages. And that's where it comes from. Might be as simple as that. Oh.
0: Oh that's interesting. Oh so then like by by extension, like my abbreviated name could be like Ted. (laughs) Shorten it down and rhyme it.
1: Edgar Ed Ted. Or Edgar becomes Oh no, because he's always the first syllable, so tar wouldn't really count now. No Yeah, Ted, yeah. But I mean Eddie becomes Ted, so Edward becomes Ted, so it's exactly the same, yeah.
0: Wait, does Edward become Ted? Does that just become Ed?
1: Ha huh.
0: man, this is weird i don't i don't I don't know I don't like this it just it seems so strange. I'm glad you're comfortable with it, but it just seems like it's really odd William to bill just as it seems like a total non sequitur um
1: i mean i i've I've had arguments with uh with people who like refused to believe me that it was short for William. <laughs> no, it's short for Billy and i'm like okay thank you yes you you definitely know my name better than I do <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
0: I wonder, was Billiam was ever a word? Because I know you jokingly call yourself that sometimes, but I wonder... Oh, in German, it would be Bill Helm. Bill Helm. I like that. The Bill Helm <laughs> scream. <laughs> 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 oh. <laughs>
1: it's deeper um, than the other one.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting. Uh, yeah, there you go. Anyway, so there's a little bit about uh, names and what to call the artifactsy y space. I like Bill and Ned's excellent... Uh, Adventureland and I think if we ever get a little studio we, we definitely need to put that um, in signage at the front mm-hmm. um, yeah so th- thanks more parades that was a bit of crack I really liked it <laughs> um, so do you have anything else to follow up
1: um, no we can look at some emails maybe let's look at some emails alright uh, so we've got one here about uh, pigeons and creoles from Anurin Hunt Oh, who was on the show before? I think. Yes, we've def- we definitely mentioned them before. Mm. Um, the they sent us a, a pretty cool link. I'd actually come across this before um, of the Basque Icelandic pigeon, which was spoken in Iceland in the seventeenth century, and it was, I guess, just a lot of Basque sailors happened to be living in Iceland and like settled there and formed a community, and they spoke a sort of a ba- Basque Icelandic pigeon. Hmm. I've never heard um, of it before. That's really interesting. Although, actually, well, to, to clarify, it's not... It was located in Iceland, but it wasn't a pigeon of Icelandic, it looks like. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't a pigeon of Icelandic. So it was just kind of like a, a sailor's a sailor's pigeon used by these Basque guys who happened to be living in Iceland. Huh. Which is just great. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> what a mixture. Um, the question is, do, do you know much about pigeons and creoles? Uh, it could be something to think about when world building and thinking about what languages are spoken and how much interaction there is. Um, if there is an, interna- an international language, it would make a pigeon useless. It won't emerge. Which kind of makes sense. Yeah, if there's if there's a well used, uh, widely adopted ox language, there's no need for pigeons. Uh, would you consider trying to make one? And does this occur in your worlds? Um, as regards to the last point, would you consider trying to make one? maybe not because i'd want to develop my other comlangs more fully first of all uh but does it occur in your worlds in theory definitely yeah i ab- i absolutely um i, I would ab- because it's a real thing that happens in real languages so it would make sense that i would consider it at least theoretically as a thing to happen in my uh my fictional worlds um about the the aux certainly one of my settings does have a, a widely adopted sort of auxlang um uh but that does uh, pigeonize and creolize quite a lot with local languages um in my mind i haven't done any of the work on that but that's how i consider it um but we also don't really know that much about pigeons and creoles i think it would be an interesting conlanging exercise um but it's a very i i, I think it's a very uh difficult thing to 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 replicate. I would imagine it would be a very difficult thing to replicate. I don't know if there's anyone who has looked into how pigeons and creoles arise and if you can predict what will come up by looking at the the various parent languages.
0: Um Yeah, I I'd echo that because uh usually when the thing is extremely difficult to do, it doesn't tend to show up in the world-building literature all that much. Um and I have not come across any language construction books yet that even remotely uh, delve into this topic at all. So I'd imagine it's really difficult to do. Um, and I, I, but I guess you could just
1: make a language, just make it, make a normal conlang, and say that it's a pigeon or a creole.
0: Well, the next step, I would, the next thing I was going to say is that surely it would be a thing that you would do after you've done some conlanging, Like, you make up language A, you make up language B, and then you can kind of be like, that's what happens when we put them, like, we take the grammar from A with some borrowed words from B or yeah. something like that. It feels like this would be a but, step. Like, it wouldn't be a thing that you would do immediately. You would do all the normal stuff first, and then it would be, like, a last step to add, like, an extra layer of flavor.
1: I don't know if you can really say that, the pigeons are... Distinct from non pigeons, though. I mean, I think you could you could make up a language. You could just like do a conlang, and then say, and this conlang happens to be a pigeon.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I don't yeah. See, why not?
1: Yeah, but uh... um, on a real world topic, uh, in the last few months, uh, the BBC launched a West African pigeon version of their uh, news website. Really. Yep. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I mean it's it's spoken by millions of people in West Africa.
0: I, is the BBC um, a big thing in West Africa?
1: It's Big all over the world.
0: Oh, is it? Is it? They've got the Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, sure, I would got... I would hold on. I would imagine that it, like it's really big in the states and like English speaking world because like it's English and it deals with like English subject matter. Um or, or, or European subject matter, but I can't imagine, like, I don't know, someone in Siberia being all like, I watched the BBC.
1: Uh, BBC News, I'm looking at the website here. Languages, uh, I, I don't even recognize what some of these are, to be honest. There's loads oh, of languages. That's really here. interesting. Huh. Yeah. Uh, Azerbaijani, um, I don't know what that is, uh, just Turkish. Yeah, loads and loads of different languages. All right, but, so they, um, they're,
0: but they're just getting the regular BBC content translated into their language.
1: I'm assuming, no, like uh, it'll be localized content as well.
0: Oh, well, oh, that means the BBC is way more far-reaching than I think of it as.
1: Remember, like, the British were, were a colonial empire. <laughs> you oh, know? yeah, there was up, that thing. Up until, like, the 50s. <laughs> so, you know, in the in the era of, like, mass modern communication... They they still, you know, ran India and and stuff. So yeah, and you know the the like the world service was was a big thing for for like a lot of the twentieth century in that.
0: Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, I don't I don't yeah. know why I didn't realize Vietnamese so that makes, Vietnamese. They have it in Vietnamese, yeah. Oh, ha! Huh, cool, very cool. So it's in a West African pigeon. Yeah, uh, do you know the name of this pigeon? We can put it in the show notes. West
1: African pigeon.
0: Oh, it's called West African pigeon. Okay, <laughs> I thought you were being generic. Is like I didn't want to attempt to pronounce the name of the thing, so I'm just going to call it a West African pigeon. Well, that makes sense.
1: Um, yeah, I'll West African the, pigeon English, also called Guinea Coast Creole English. But uh... oh no, is that, maybe that's an older one. Uh, no, that's that's it. That's it.
0: Ha, huh, that's interesting. I, yeah. I just on the on the subject of conlanging uh, pigeons. I think uh, we spoke last show about cultural appropriation and Mm. being the authority uh, about a certain culture. I think pigeon, you can quickly get into these territories where you're kind of like... You know the way I think everyone has a cursory understanding of kind of like that Jamaican pigeon where it's kind of like... It's like, I don't know, on the outside it seems like very English just spoken with a really, really heavy Jamaican accent. And I feel like if you don't actually delve into this correctly you're potentially going to produce something that's rather offensive <laughs> yeah you know absolutely. especially especially if you're doing a real world thing like if it's like a far future thing like in the expanse where you have like the South African thing if you don't kind of come at that with a bit of sensitivity I think it could go really like badly really fast yeah so I suppose that's just a point worth considering
1: yeah I mean if, if you're if you're trying to use real life examples to, to make a pigeon you it's an area you should probably be careful
0: yeah, obviously, if you just make up your conline and call the pigeon, well, there's no problem. Like, you're only offending your con culture if you do it wrong.
1: Uh, <laughs> you know. And you are literally their god, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, but that's cool. That's really interesting. Links in the show notes, all that, so you go, yeah. uh, go check it out. Um, I out would, of, I,
1: oh, sorry. I Just uh, as a last point, I wondered like what, what the limits. It, it seems like a very vague thing to, to, to realistically define. What, what a pigeon and what a creole is. No, I'm sure, I'm sure there there is a a a difference. Um I'm sure there is a difference. But I like I don't understand why you couldn't consider English to be a Creole because it's a Germanic substrate and a lot of Germanic vocabulary, mostly Germanic grammar, and then all these inherited romance ideas, um, after the Norman invasion. Um mm,
0: uh This is completely unfounded on anything. I'm just going on feelings here, so I'm liable to be wrong. But isn't it the idea that it's like, like English is not mutually intelligible with German, right? They're two distinct different things. But like when I listen to like say that Jamaican Creole, I can follow like 80% of it because it's like based on the rules of English grammar. There's very many English words. I think there's... I think English Possibly, has gone yeah. too far to be called a, a a pigeon because it's not mutually intelligible, or at least not mutually te- intelligible enough to a degree at which it could still be called a
1: pigeon. Yeah, I mean, like I I could I, cl- I can follow everything on that on that uh, BBC West African pigeon site. I can follow some of it, and I can figure stuff out if I think about it. But it's not me. It's not like fully intelligible to me.
0: Right, but if, and if you put on the BBC Vietnamese thing, you're not going to follow any of it. Um, right such that so that's what i think what distinction is i I don't know i haven't looked into this that's me just just espousing a question sorry this is going on way longer than i intended but uh so pigeons and creoles happen when two different cultures kind of meet and their uh, languages mingle yeah
1: i guess yeah
0: so why does it why is this not like happened in ireland Like, why don't we have an Irish-English pigeon? Why don't we all speak a pigeon here? Like, we had loads of English people over here for, like, loads, and we had our native language before. Why is it that we didn't do that and just hopped on the English train and just almost abandoned Irish?
1: We speak Irish with a lot of... Or we speak English with a lot of uh, features that are not present in English English. Hmm. Like, genuinely, it's... I have had conversations where I've had to keep myself in check because if I knew if I just spoke casually as I would with you or with any of my other native Irish friends, English people would not understand me.
0: Mm. So, ooh, what I, are you after af-
1: doing? What are you after doing? That's that the... doesn't make any sense to someone who speaks British English. <laughs> or what are you at?
0: Yeah, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah, I wonder how far removed we are then from a legit pigeon.
1: I don't know, but you see, mm. and some of that, some of that is a direct translation of Irish grammar, like at. Right. Like yep. so, in 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 Hiberno English, um, for our listeners, at like what are you at means? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And in Irish, the the particle egg, ag a g. Um, is used as is it as the gerund as the gerund. I can't remember how to pronounce that gerund, word. Gerund, yeah, yeah. It's like the, like the ing. Yeah. Like I, uh, Tom, egg kind. I am speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, but it's also the verb to be at something, like to to be like at a location. And I think that's how that becomes what are you at? Meaning what are you doing in Hiberno English?
0: Ah, huh, that's really interesting. I am yeah. going
1: to Google and
0: see whether or not. Irish Hiberno English is anywhere close to a pigeon because I like I'm imagining I opened the Hiberno
1: English Wikipedia page a few minutes ago and I control left for pigeon and I didn't get any results yeah yeah um... and I didn't get any for Creole either I mean i I, I think that I, I I know there is a distinction between them I'm not sure which what the difference is but um
0: hmm that's interesting Jesus, maybe I might actually tr- there's something for later maybe try and make an Irish English pigeon <laughs> huh. I don't know, maybe, we'll see. I'll put it on the list. Um, anyhow, anyhow. Uh, anything else in the mailbag?
1: In the mailbag, um, so that was the first one. We got an email from a listener, Michelle, um, uh, who said she's been watching your videos on worldbuilding, and during one of them you mentioned that a race with no nose couldn't produce any nasal sounds. Yes. Which got me thinking of the AVOX from the Hunger Games, slaves who have had their tongues removed so they can't speak. Uh I thought it might be cool to invent a conline that did not use the tongue so that the Avox might use to communicate with each other. Um oh, that's, which is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It's gonna be really difficult to do. Um yeah, I reckon it it would be, but I think you could definitely do something.
0: Yeah, the problem is like you you have a whole lot of options when it comes to consonants like uh like B for b, for example. Like, yeah. That doesn't really require the tongue. Um like H H doesn't really require tongue as well, but like what yeah, do you, what do you, stops. what do you, yeah what are you going to do for vowels though? That's the like vowels require your t-
1: well actually mm, rounded and open like the the rounded unrounded and closed open axes don't well that's so you've got you've got you've got two axes that you could work on
0: well that's fair and also I mean like when you take it into the terms of singing singers are constantly like doing weird things with their tongue that they wouldn't do a normal speech to accommodate that, but it still comes out as sounding okay. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe there is a thing where they could like, yeah, maybe they could still make vowel sounds. I don't know. Oh, do you know what you could do? Like, even if you couldn't, even if you had no axes to work on, you could just bring in tone. Cause tone oh, isn't well, a, yeah, tone. Could. Tone isn't a function of of a tongue. You could just like have, or you could even have like loudness variants there. That's really interesting, actually. Now that I think about
1: it. Yeah.
0: Huh? You could have like yeah, maybe one or two vowels, and then a whole raft of tones on them.
1: Yeah. And then. Um. What else? You could. I mean, if you really wanted to, to double up on kind of the information density, take like because all the things that you don't have your tongue for, you could. Uh, you could distinguish between p and p, like the, the adjective. You could, or you could even you could distinguish adjectives.
0: You could even distinguish between uh, aspirated and non aspirated. Yeah. So p and then puh. I, ca- I can't do it. But like one, uh, the, the test for this, dear listener, is put your hand in front of your mouth and say uh, a word like pat and pat. then. Yeah, and then say a word like uh, "let me think." Tap. Tap. You should with the with the p at the end tap. of tap. There should be like a noticeable gust of air. At but the end of tap. At the end of tap, because in yeah. English we aspirate all those final p's, but pat there shouldn't be that noticeable gust of air. Now we in English we don't care about this, but I I'm, gonna, I'm yeah, probably going to get that's, this wrong. It's
1: hard for me now.
0: It is hard, but I probably going to get this wrong. But I, I believe in in Sanskrit. I could be wrong. I'll correct it in the next show if I am, but I believe they they distinguish between aspirated and unaspirated. So they'd have a word like pat with no accompanying puff of a puff of air, and a word like pat with an accompanying puff of air, and they'll yeah. distinguish those as two separate words. So you could do that as well in the tongueless language. Um, yeah. Yeah, that actually that is vastly more interesting than I gave a credit for initially. I was kind of like, oh, that's a neat idea. Now that I think about it, I'm kinda of like, that is a really, really interesting constraint. Yeah, you know? uh, and then obviously we talked about before but you could obviously have signing like yes. a, a sign language or yeah. like uh, you can incorporate like percussive elements from around the body and that could also uh, uh, come into your language um,
1: uh, I'm fairly sure that sign languages have been observed to arise like kind of spontaneously um, like in, in in schools and things in, in like small communities where I think uh signers didn't have previous exposure to sign language that coherent languages uh like just arose. Um huh. I think I could I could be wrong about that, but I think it did. I read that before. Um so it'll be interesting to to see like if you had enough like AVOX, if you had enough people who were missing some like significant feature of sound production that is used in language, if like, they could come up with a mode of communication among themselves.
0: Hmm, yeah.
1: I mean, like, totally. I, that's see, really cool. I don't Totally, that's really cool. I mean, it might be harder as adults, but um, because, you know, you're so used to thinking in whatever your first or other languages are, that it might be hard to, to kind of generate one.
0: Right, but um, needs must, you know, the need to survive and to be able to communicate and say, like, oh, the, the you yeah. know, the terrible, horrible guard is coming right now. We need to be able to say that. Um, yeah, I definitely could see it happening. That's really interesting, dear listener. If you happen to get working on this, send us feedback on it. I'd love, to, I'd Absolutely. love to see, I'd love to see what you've what you are done with it, or whether or not you agree or disagree with what we're saying. Uh, yeah, a, a, a phonemic inventory would be class. If you want to supply that, that would be great. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, and, uh, what else is in the mailbag
1: there? Got uh, one more I want to look at from Sid H. Cool. Um, and a very uh, brief question are you going to do country building how about flag building well i think we've covered flag building uh pretty comprehensively there was a, an episode a while ago about all like different shapes of flags as well um but just in terms of good design and then assigning whatever meanings or symbolisms you want to whatever's on the flag um I don't. i don't think there's a A lot more to say about that just you know consider consider its function consider its social context and work on those work from that basis um country building that's that's an interesting one it's a very very broad question i mean what do you what do you mean by country building if you're talking about culture we've talked a fair bit about culture um and and different different elements of it uh if you if you're talking about the stuff you see on a Wikipedia info box when you look up Romania and you know see its population and area and GDP and, and that stuff. Um we haven't really done that kind of thing. Um that's something we maybe could get around to at some stage. It's it's not something I'm qualified to talk about at all.
0: Uh no, to be fair, Bill, none should... of us are qualified to talk about any of this t- like I am not I am not, not an astrophysicist. Well, that's fair. We actually we spend little to no time like like world building music, the actual thing we're qualified to do. Like I am not a natural <laughs> physicist. I am not a linguist neither are you for bo- on both of those counts but yeah, we still somehow managed to find a way to talk I'm about a, these things.
1: I'm a language enthusiast. Exactly. Um, um but yeah, I mean it's it's the, the thing is it's just it's very broad. Um countries are uh, kind of these made up entities. In 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 the same way, I mean, in the same way that like you know, language is just this thing that we do. It doesn't it doesn't have the same, uh, kind of concrete quality to it that stars and planets do. Uh, so I think it's a case it's it's a humanities question in a lot of ways, and it's a case of identifying what it is that you you are interested in about countries, what it is that you want to build when you country build, and put that together. You know, go research that and work on that task.
0: I have responses. Yep. Uh, response number one is uh, not not with regards to podcasts, with regards to videos. Uh, I will be doing in the very very near future a video on one of those topics. I let you try and figure out which one that is. <laughs> Just as a little teaser. Um, the I can't the thing what about I the <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! I'm talking to the listener. Yes. Yeah. As in, dear listener. Country building, flag building, oh. one of those things will be covered in a very, very, oh. very uh like yeah, it's it's the next one, I think. I think the next video is meant to be one of those topics. But like in the sort of like ever sort of dangling the fish in front of uh in front of the internet, I'm like, I won't tell you too much. We'll wait to see. Um, but the, in terms of the country building, uh, two things that I think might be worth doing. Um and this is outside of the, like, figuring out how many people and there are and all that sort of jazz. Like, I think country building, at least in the way I'm defining it, is a lot to do with legal stuff. Like how we define a country, what are rules of those countries, how it governs, things like that. Uh, I think two things you should yeah. do is you should read constitutions of countries. I think that's really important. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show before but uh you should read the south african constitution the south african constitution is easily digestible it's quite small and it's considered by many political um scientists and academics as being an example of a particularly great constitution um read that and try and pull elements from it to form your country because the constitution is basically the country made manifest on paper um. So that's the thing to do. And then by extension, I would advise listening to uh, law podcasts, if you can. Like More Perfect is a good example. I'll leave links in the show notes where they talk about like um decisions that courts have made that affect the country as a whole. Um, and those things can help build into the country building aspect. But yeah, mm-hmm. overall... Constitution, And when you're done reading the South African Constitution, read the Irish contribu- uh, Constitution just as a, a counter-argument for what is, like, a bad constitution, because our constitution is trash. <laughs> so read the good ones and read the bad ones and come up with something based off that, is my response uh, to that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I'd add to that, uh, consider, like, the the foundations of what we think of as countries, because it's quite a modern... Um concept in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, five hundred years ago, we you know we knew there were like there were Italians and there were Germans and there were Spaniards, but there wasn't an Italy and a Germany. There was a Spain, I guess, but there wasn't in like the an Italy and a Germany in the sense of that there was the country of Italy and the the state of Germany. They were, uh, they were divided up among different uh, polities, um, and like Westphalian sovereignty is a really important. Uh, theoretical concept in the, con- the the creation of the idea of nation states. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and then also there's like the idea of city states as well. Like a country we uh, we tend to think of a country as being like a big landmass that is all like relatively yeah. homogeneous. But like obviously city states. So there's
1: yeah. I suppose it gets
0: back yeah. to your original point that what exactly is a country and what
1: are you doing? Um, yeah. What, what like what are the the assumptions that the question makes? It's it's always important to question the those assumptions. That's, that's a very good point. God, I
0: I really find this aspect of world building the hardest to do because it's, it's so like nebulous. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's kind of, it could be like, there's no right answer. Like I I like, I like the sort of like um, geo fiction because it's like, there is a right answer. There are equations that govern the laws of nature. I can use those to make a thing that's realistic. But when it comes to like, you know, making a legal system or or a country or a culture you're kind of like well it could be anything really (laughs) you know Uh, that that's i find so difficult um this is why it's good to have you around bill in the balance to this um but i hope i hope that helped in some way uh the subreddit let us know let us know if you got any any other thoughts on that we can we can all learn a bit from one another you know
1: absolutely cool alright uh, anything else in the mailbag or should we crack into writer's room I think we should crack into the, the writer's room yes the it's, newly newly formatted
0: it's sticking the it's name sticking. is sticking FYI the emails uh, we and follow up uh, we should call that the mail room it was suggested in the subreddit I think it's a great idea mail room cool. writer's room green room done beautiful Uh, You did some world building this month
1: I did do some world building this month Uh,
0: Care to tell me all about said world building
1: Okay, so I've sent you a picture You have And I have sent you a little bit of prose The prose, as ever, is a work in progress But nonetheless, I sent it to you Links in the Um, show notes for everyone
0: TLDR, it's a map with context in prose, yeah?
1: Yeah, it won't be it won't be a work in progress when when the the listeners read it. It'll be it'll be finished then. Cool. Very good. Very good. Uh, yeah. So it's a map and some some prose. It's sort of, a, I guess maybe it's a kind of a gazetteer of the northern region of the planet of Fasath. So new planet. New planet. New planet. Okay. Cool. Fasath. Yeah. Uh, Fasath. Facade. Cool. Okay. Very cool. A-A-T-H. A A T H. No, there's a T H at the end. Cool. Cool.
0: Um. A, a why new planet? Why do we choose to do this?
1: Um. It's been in my head for a little while, and there was some kind of specific things that I I, I thought were cool. Uh, that I was like, oh, I should use that in world building, and um, I put them together. So just just from a, a quick read of it, what what is your what are your impressions? And we'll see how close to the mark I hit.
0: Oh, okay. So, my TLDR, I don't know how accurate it's going mm-hmm. to be, is that you have created a desert planet.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and you seem to have mapped centered around the poles, which is kind of a, a cool sort of uh, thing to do. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. seems to be a, a sort of heavily fantasy setting. Uh, you have, like, a winged sentient species, like um, like harpies. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think you use the word Harpies to describe them Don't you?
1: I do use the word Harpies
0: and so There seems to be It's like a a Fantastical Tatooine Alright What what are you thinking?
1: I don't know Tatooine That well But uh, It's Yeah It certainly is a desert planet Um, Yeah so I I did a Map Centred around The north pole Of this planet Cool And you're exactly right It's a desert planet and in creating this, I actually read up about planets on kind of on the inner edge of habitable zones and uh theory like uh works that suggest that habitable zones could be a lot closer to stars than mm-hmm. or is usually suggested uh if the the situations on the surface are correct and there's a specific paper um by uh Andras Zham and others called towards the minimum inner edge distance of the habitable zone. Oh, which, cool! Uh, I think you can you can find
0: online. Yeah, you need to link me to that. I I don't think I've come across that. That's interesting. Link me. Oh, I, I thought I'd sent the other before.
1: Yeah, I absolutely I absolutely will. Oh, cool. I, I mean, I, I can no, no. I'll, I'll send you a link rather than the PDF because then you can link it to others. Yeah. Um And now it's it's a little while ago that I, that I did this reading um, and initially started the map. I've just updated and, and done the pros for for this month. Um, but it it kind of talks a lot about how you can actually get a lot closer to a star um, and what the situations, what, what circumstances could lead to that. So I decided that I'd take that and make this a desert planet quite close to a star. H- have you ran the numbers on this? Can you tell me how close is close? Um, I can if you give me a moment. I will give you all the moments you need, sir. Okay, so the habitable zone is... Point. I say one point oh four eight AU to one point five one AU. And uh, what's the size of the star
0: at the at the center?
1: Uh, one point oh five sol. So it's like slightly slightly larger than Earth.
0: Okay, so and you have you're going to have it in a similar Earth like its its year is going to be roughly equivalent to Earth. Then it's roughly at the well, same. Well, no, degree. because
1: the desert planet is a point six one two AU.
0: Oh, you brought it into 0.61. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, you can do that. Seems like it might be plausible according to this paper. Hmm. No, I didn't understand everything in the paper, but I I, you know, it seems not entirely out of the question.
0: Wow, and so, so like what are you what are you doing to make that plausible?
1: Um I'll have to read the paper again to be sure, uh, but basically, there's the surface water isn't really very possible. Uh, there, w- there certainly won't be any large bodies of surface water, and the atmospheric conditions and the the it has to have a, a high albedo, I think. Um, okay. Like very very low greenhouse effect stuff like that.
0: Okay. Okay. So you oh so basically you've made the planet uh, super reflective, basically, and ergo you can push it closer to a star. It's just going to like pump out uh, the it's going to reflect most of starlight back so dropping the temperature and still keeping things er- yeah. like relatively habitable. cool very yeah. cool
1: and it, it won't it won't have a, a high surface pressure um, and it won't have a, a, a very insulating atmosphere hmm and you've but ran temperature have, have you ran temperature equations like do you know
0: that the temperature checks out
1: I have not oh could all
0: hinge on that Bill <laughs> Could
1: all hinge But on you see, the, I don't know. I don't know what the atmospheric composition is. So,
0: but you don't. You don't need the atmospheric comp. Actually, do you know what's interesting? Right, the 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 video, well, dear listener, a bit of inside baseball. Uh, I've been working on a new video about albedo, and it is finished and ready to be published at the end of this podcast. And interestingly, this video should help Bill with his temperature thing because you don't necessarily need to know what the uh, atmospheric composition is. Um, right, I have uh, found a very Seems nice like you calculator. to
1: account for greenhouse effects and stuff,
0: yeah, yeah, you see now, hold on i I have found a really nice calculator made by the uh, Department of Astronomy in Indiana University, Bloomington, where you you just set you, you just kind of set a value for greenhouse effects. You don't necessarily mm. have to worry about like what is causing the uh, greenhouse effect, like what what, uh, what, molecules are doing it. It's just a value that like uh, alters the equation and you can run the whole numbers through this thing and then you get, yeah. it spits out a cool number. Uh, you should watch the next video, Bill. It might be of some help.
1: <laughs> but anyway, this paper suggests that you could, um, the, the inner edge of the habitable zone for hot desert worlds could be as close as 0.38 AU around a solar-like star.
0: What? That's yeah. that's close. <laughs> that's
1: really. It's close. very close. Um, what does it say that uh, if the greenhouse effect is reduced and the surface albedo is increased, we consider a wide range of atmospheric and planetary parameters, such as the mixing ratios of greenhouse gases, etc., uh, etc. Et and it talks about a little bit about uh, sustaining how you could sustain an active water cycle in a planet like this, which is one of the things I did a, a fair bit of thinking about.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Huh? Cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool.
1: So yeah, um, I was thinking it's a desert planet, and I kind of, I kind of tried to build on that and be like, well, what kind of material culture could they have then? They're not going to have access to a lot of wood, for example, because a planet like this isn't going to have enough water to to make trees a widespread uh, life form. Yeah, which I think is kind of interesting. Uh, so they're going to be quite limited in their their plant materials. Um, a lot of they'll have a lot of you know rock and access to metal and stuff, but you know, once they get metal, how do they treat it? What do they use for fuel if there's very little you know, vegetable material to burn and so on? Um, so I'd imagine that there'd be it would be a fairly low material wealth and low kind of material technology. Um, in 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 some respects on on this this planet, uh, about the water cycle, um. You'll see here at the very center of the map. There's well near the center. There's the Great Northern Range, mm-hmm. which is a mountain range, and there's kind of a a, a splotch kind of above that, right in the middle, mm-hmm. and that's the polar ice cap. Because uh, you know, even on a on a desert planet, you're going to have the very very extreme north that's going to have the you know the the bit of uh, endless night at some point during the year. Um, so there would be there would be an ice cap and and i figured that you could still get water in on very high mountains so if there's very very high mountains you could get water condensing at the top or or falling in in uh, as perspiration as precipitation at the top and that way you could replenish aquifers in the ground and you could get glaciers and things and that there would be a chance for sustaining a water cycle through that. It would fall in the mountains, or it would condense in the mountains, and travel through the rock, and then you could get a, a system where the reservoir was aquifers rather than the ocean.
0: Hmm. And, like, so I'm assuming this is why you've placed uh, this city called Amtlar in the, in the Trosh Mountains there, on the left of the map? Yeah. Now, so... Then what's the story with the other city, like the Il Ilki? Ilki. Ilki. What's the story with that? Yeah, well, That's it's
1: it's kind of a K sound, kind of a clicky kind of cue. Oh. Um. Well, do you see that dotted line? Yes. That is a huge canal oh. that takes water, glacial meltwater from the North Pole, and carries it hundreds and hundreds of miles south to the city.
0: Ah, uh, okay. So, thus allowing them to live, kind of in the open desert, so to speak.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Ooh. Um, actually, that that city is built at a, a kind of uh a confluence of a number of. So, there's that canal, and also, uh, do you know what canats are?
0: No, I've seen this in your prose, and I was going to ask what the hell that is. So, go for it. Okay,
1: these are cool as heck. <laughs> um, it's originated in Iran I think or in, in in like ancient Persia and so basically what it is you've got a you've got a, a village that needs water out on a plain right mm-hmm. and say there's a there's a mountain you know, 20 miles away what they do is they go up into the mountain and they dig down until they find water th- th- they find groundwater and now that's obviously way down in the ground but because you're up a mountain, it's still slightly higher than the level of the village, so they dig a tunnel, ah, sloping down, but it brings the groundwater to the surface.
0: Cool.
1: Yeah, and it, they've been it's been like practiced for like millennia. It's it's really really old, and they like they go over vast vast distances.
0: Hmm. Yeah, because my next response would have been like, seeing as you're going with a low material technology culture. Like how are yeah. they doing this? But yeah, if it's been done for millennia, then that that like checks out perfectly.
1: Yeah, um, cool. it was, yeah, the the canats of Ganabad is one of the oldest in the world, and it was built between seven hundred BC and five hundred BC. Uh, they were yeah, they were built in the in the first millennium BC. Cool, that's really cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You should, It's definitely worth a look. Put put the the Wikipedia link in the in the show notes. It's it's really. It's really cool.
0: Cool, very cool. And come here, what's, so, what's going on? Like, obviously, the little blodgy bits, or little splodgy bits, are mountains, yeah? Yeah, that's, that's altitude, yeah. Now, what is going on around the canyon lands where you have, like, narrow lines and dotted lines and the Great Bight? What's
1: that all about? Okay, so the Great Bight is kind of a, a huge basin. It's a huge salt plain. And then these these narrow lines are just huge canyons. So, so like, really, really long canyons. There's one here, Orlen, the east canyon, is, stretches from the Great Northern Range towards the Great Bight. And then Ketian, the west canyon, stretches from the Troche Mountains, kind of curves north and then a little bit south again towards the Great Bight. And then where, where they near where they meet, there's, like, a... a very complex, like, loads and loads of canyons and, like, smaller systems and interlinked systems. Um, I'd imagine it would be, a bit like, the Valles Marineris in, on Mars. On Mars, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and this is one of the main areas of human habitation where there's no, like, big cities there the way that uh, Ilki is. It's just, like, a, it's a, a lot of lands um, and smaller settlements.
0: Oh, cool. I, that's, I think that's a really good segue into, can you tell me about the culture?
1: Um, there isn't a culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it, there's a lot of various cultures. There's a number of various cultures. Um, I'm I'm thinking I might try and write up uh, a sort of a creation myth and like history of humanity on Fasath and you know, where the different groups come from and their their own stories about how they they settled and. How, how they spread around and uh, the, the creation of ilki um you know a great migration to the other side of the planet to, to build this garden city
0: hmm I, I, for listeners uh if anyone is embarking on creation myth creation uh i'm going to throw the crash course playlist in the show notes because they do a, a really cool and easy to digest sort of Crash course on mythology, and I think it's it's good world building fodder. So I'm going to throw it in.
1: Cool. Uh, Yeah. So as I said, there's a lot of cultures, um, and I'd imagine that there would be kind of nomadic cultures that would move around in the deserts, and there would be, uh, you know, stuff like that. Um, There'd probably be other smaller settlements around, but Ilki is like the big city, and then the Canyonlands is where most sort of human. Civilization would be would be centered.
0: Uh, and what's the story of Amplar? Is that just another city, or is that got any sort of significance?
1: Ah, sorry. Yes, Amplar is uh, the the city of Harpies. So it's kind of a a monstrous city inhabited by kind of winged humanoids. Uh, here, I've spoken a little bit before about planetary romance as a genre. Yes, yes. And uh, this is very much uh, uh, inspired by or kind of an homage to. Uh, a novel by Robert E. Howard, who's the guy who wrote Conan.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah.
1: Um. Although Edgar Rice Burroughs is the person more associated with, with planetary romance, Edgar, uh, Robert E. Howard wrote one at least called Almuric. Right. Um, and it was about a guy who who gets sent to this planet Almuric, and um, leads the humans there in a war against these horrible winged people who are.
0: Uh, kidnapping all their women. Uh, okay, so As, hold on. So so the, the denizens of Amplar are harpies, but everyone else is human or like like humanoid?
1: On facade. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, everyone else is, is humanish.
0: Oh, okay. And then you just have this harpy city. And then, like, yeah. uh, the choice of harpies is literally just because it's in that book and you want it to pay homage, or is there any particular reason why harpies?
1: I mean... I know winged people who kidnap you are pretty scary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. Ah, oh, that's really cool. Huh.
1: No, yeah, I didn't really think any more of it than that.
0: <laughs> cool. Yeah, no, I like. It's cool. I, I, I Like, I when you first sent it, I was like, mm, desert planet. But like, it's cool that you really thought about like how they are going to get water. It's a little bit more in depth than I'm a moisture farmer in the Star Wars sort of sense. I like the fact that you've <laughs> kind of almost taking like an engineering approach to solving this. And then I like the, yeah. I like the little bit of like fantasy with the the harpies and yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And then also from a mapping perspective, I think it's just really cool to have it centered around the pole because again, um, I think many, many maps are usually just a standard sort of like, Google Earth sort of, or Google Maps sort of, just yeah. looking at the side of the planet. If you know what I mean, um, we tend to forget that there's a top and bottom, and we can kind of look at them in that direction. So I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, and um, View Dune actually has a map with with a very similar projection based around the the, the pole.
0: I have um, never seen a Dune map before. Yeah. Huh.
1: Or at least a copy of Dune I had. It does. Um, oh to, yeah. To talk about the. You can see it there? Look
0: at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you have it to hand? <laughs> I
1: oh no no, like I, I don't read
0: books, uh but i am just I'm Google imaging.
1: Oh yeah. Cool. Oh, okay. Very cool. Anyway, sorry, you were gonna say. Um so the this map is obviously centered on the north pole, and then these rings are um fifteen degrees. So here the Great Northern Range, it's southern limit here. The very southern limit, like by Orlen, is a little bit further south than seventy five degrees. Okay. And then the next ring is sixty and forty five and thirty. So we we end up at thirty degrees south, oh, 30 degrees north.
0: We don't go down to the equator. No. Ah, and w- no. and what's going on, on the rest of the planet? Is there anything interesting, or just you've decided to limit it um, to, to this
1: location? I well, I limited to this location for the moment because the the deserts are so kind of harsh that you can't pass. You you can't actually go overland to the the south, the southern hemisphere um, even if this goes from the north pole to 30 degrees north then that's that's still not like that much of the planet's actual surface and the majority would still be between 30 north and 30 south and then have an equal sized place um, at the south pole or around the south pole um, and I'm just thinking like in, in between is just impassable desert
0: this is an interesting point and I think it's one worth reiterating reiterating um, the sense that uh, I think people forget sometimes that geography can be a huge driver of story. Mm. And like this idea of, yeah, like around the equator of the planet is going to be like scorching hot such that you can't pass it. And that's that's an interesting yeah. thing you should okay. think about trying to set up a little bit uh, such that you can create a narrative around. Like the other, the other good example I can think of is the sort of Pangea style thing uh, we've talked yeah. about before. Where the the internal, the internal parts of a Pangaea-like continent are, will necessarily be extremely hot and extremely arid, such that it would be very difficult for characters to say get from coast A to coast B. Um, yeah, and that's an interesting thing to do, as opposed to kind of saying people can just go all around the world like the way we can with planes and things like that. It's it's nice to set up these little limitations. So I think that's a really cool bit of local flavor and one that I think
1: is worth yeah. taking on board. Exactly. Um, now, this planet is a bit smaller than Earth. Um, so the the, the scales we brought down, but just like as, as a kind of a context, 30th parallel north is roughly, it, it goes to like northern Florida and it goes to like North Africa like the kind of Egypt is, would be on on the 30th parallel north and it goes through like it touches the south of Japan the very the very southern tip of Japan okay. Okay. so that's kind of where we're at this,
0: and the, then ha- 30th ha- pa- this, this makes no sense to me can, can, can you give me a radius of the planet what? can you give me a radius of your planet then I'll understand size <laughs> like we're we're gonna now we're gonna align the various different parallels up with Earth to get an idea of size just give me a radius, Matt. Have you got a radius?
1: Yeah. Yeah. What? what? 5,100 kilometers.
0: Oh, he, look at him and his real units. Okay, hold on. I have to... Wait, I have to do some maths. Hold on. Are you trying to figure
1: out the, the area?
0: No, uh, no, I'm just trying to figure out what that is in Earth radii.
1: Okay, but why, why do you need the radius?
0: Because then I can tell how big the planet
1: <laughs> is. Okay, but that's not relevant to the point I was
0: making. But you... Were you not? Oh, I thought you were lining up all the different latitudes to give you an idea about scale relative to Earth. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and in that sense, but it's going to be a
1: radius. You don't. No, you. You don't. You don't need the 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 radius of this planet for that to make sense.
0: What? Hmm. Okay. Okay. Continue with your point. Maybe you'll l- you know if you'd let if you'd let me finish. it Well, that's, make sense. that's 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 entirely <laughs> fair. So you continue with your point, and then I'll ask you. I'll run my calculations, and if it still makes sense, if it makes sense, great. If it doesn't, then at least I know what I'm talking about. So go for
1: it. Right. So that's where the thirtieth parallel north is on Earth. Right. Okay. And um, it, it go. It kind of Southern California, Florida, North Africa, southern tip of Japan. Right. And then thirtieth parallel south is pretty much goes through uh South Africa and uh, South Australia so if you imagine all of that region like that that was easily I can say ha- more than half of the surface of the earth okay yeah that's that's the point I'm making um so even though I've got quite a bit covered here uh it's still a huge a huge um portion of the of the planet is Left unmapped and is assumed to be impassable desert.
0: Okay. Okay. so... Uh, do you get me? Uh, uh, not entirely. Do, do you want? Do okay. you want to just give me? Do you want to just give me your uh your radius again? Five
1: thousand
0: one hundred. Five thousand. Okay. One hundred. Oh goddamn a calculator! Ah, oh, ads go away, ads. Oh.
1: oh, actually, I do. I do have it in in uh, relative terms. Uh, and that would be. It's
0: point 0.8. Yeah, it's point 0.8. Okay, so it's point 0.8 times. Okay, yeah. See now, 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 now I understand what's going on. God, that was That was that was. I maybe maybe to the listeners it'll make sense, but I'm kind of like, what what just happened for the last five minutes? The planet is a little bit smaller, and the vast vast majority of a majority of it is impassable desert.
1: Yeah. The, the point I'm making is <laughs> even if we're we're, we're mapping. From the poles to 30 degrees north or south, respectively, that's still not actually as much of the surface of the planet as you might think at first. Yes. Yes, that's fair. That's fair. There we go. There. And go knowing the <laughs> radius isn't relevant to that point.
0: 15 minutes later. Well, no, it's just because, I don't know, it's the way I think. I'm, I'm imagining the Earth, and now I'm imagining a, a ball inside the Earth that's a little bit like 20% smaller. And then I'm imagining, like, obviously you tried to explain exactly what's going on with the parallels. Now I'm just imagining that, like, eighty percent of that is impassable desert, and I'm kind of tracing in my mind your map on top of this globe. If that makes sense.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, is there any more points on that? Um. You asked me what what lies beyond or what what else there is in the planet? Uh, and although I said it is impossible, you know there are like rumours and stories, and you know presumably people could do it like by going via magic or via space or something. Um, there's tales of a city called Mound. Mound. A giant city, yes. Um, and extra points to anyone who can figure out where I'm going with that. And a tribe oh. of nomads that sail across the sand. Sand benders.
0: No. No. I read that in your prose and I was like, oh, it's very much like Avatar. Oh, it's really cool. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's, um, y- you know the Avatar thing where it's like you bend the elements and then yeah. a-, a sort of subset of earth bending is people who live in di- uh, desert biomes bend sand and they use it to, like, basically sail on sand. They create, like, sand waves. And it's just cool. It's just really cool.
1: No, this is, um, this is legit sailing. This is legit
0: sailing. Uh, oh that's cool I'm intrigued about this mound thing where are you going with mound is this something that I might know or is this like Uh, I, I think I've probably
1: mentioned this thing that I think is really cool before
0: can I make a really tired joke go on is it something to do with Napoleon no <laughs> damn it that's all I have, Bill. Um, all I have. Whenever you say something like, you know, it, it, listeners who know me will understand where I'm going. I'm, immediately, I'm always you, kind you of like... You think oh, I'm one-dimensional. Edgar, I'm a complex person. You are a complex person, but a lot of that complexity is hidden under the veil of Napoleon. No, it isn't. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, huh. Okay. If someone can crack Bill's little code here, I want to know because I don't, I don't really have any idea.
1: It's much like how I, uh, how I kind of came up with Ilki because I was like, you know what, a cool Kanats, Kanats are cool as heck, um, and I kind of expanded on that idea and I got that city, and I was like, you know what would be cool if I did this, um, mm. interesting, interesting,
0: um, so yeah, it's cool. I like it, man. Thank you. As I always, think it's very, very good, and I'm always in awe of your, uh, your culture building ability because this this stuff baffles me, and. I like numbers. Cool. All right. Uh, anything Thank else you very to add? Much. Uh, you're Thank welcome. You very much. Uh, anything else to add? Uh,
1: no, I don't think so. I don't think. I think that's it for my for my world building for the the month. Uh,
0: links in the show notes. You can go check it out. Uh, let us know what you think in the subreddit. Now, I was bad this this month. I did not do world building. Um, only this month. <laughs> I love why it's kind of become a bit of a gag. Uh, yeah, I've had a absolute nightmare of a time with this latest video uh i've been like animating for like seven days straight because i decided like an absolute idiot to rejigger my entire workflow like thinking that Mm -hmm. it would be more efficient but it was horrifically not so all the time i had set aside for doing some amount of world building was taken up with animating which i finished last night at 1 a.m uh excellent So, yeah, no no world building for me, unfortunately. But if it's okay with you, I would like to talk a little bit about uh the, my last video I made. There's a couple of responses that I think I want to just put on air uh and then sure. also ask you some questions. Uh, because I think they're valid questions for world builders in general. Cool. Or more specific sure. more specifically, conlangers in general. So uh so the, the, the video I'm referring to, it's gonna be in the show notes. It was called types of conlang. And the general trust of it was to try and let people know about the general categories there are of language, such that if you're the type of person that likes, like, boxes and building, like, this particular type of thing, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, I think it was... Mm -hmm. Personally, I think they're quite useful because it takes this big nebulous thing that is language and breaks it down a little bit such that it's a little bit easier to work towards. Um, That was my intent. But... And I feel like I executed that quite well, but it was probably the most, the, it was a weird one. It was like the video was fairly well received, but the linguists kind of tore it apart. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how I understand that is. I think it has value in that it it, it uh, opened people's eyes to this sort of thing but I think it doesn't go into enough detail for the linguists and the hardcore conlangers to like, think it's okay. So just a couple of uh, points, right? Okay. Point number one, uh, people brought up, they really did not like the title. They, they thought the title was uh, completely inappropriate. Uh, and I'm, I'm conflicted. I don't know. And this is why I want to bring it up. The, their, the main thrust of the argument was that it wasn't a type of line. Uh, I wasn't presenting types of conlang. I was presenting types of language. Like, types of conlang are like artlang or like an interlingua and things like that. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Do you think that that was a good move? Or can you understand why I did that move from the perspective of someone on the outside? Uh... Or do you agree that it's like completely misleading? It's like... Okay, you shouldn't have called it a type of conlang,
1: because that's not... It's not completely misleading. No, it's not completely misleading. It's kind of misleading, <laughs> I would think. And also, it's kind of incomplete, because because it's types of language in general, so it's not conlang-specific. You you are right that it is a way of... You, you could, in theory, classify conlangs this way, because it, because languages are classified this way. Um, but because I think that languages in general can be classified this way, it is, a li- it is a bit misleading.
0: So, my thoughts here. We talked a little bit before, I think on air, mm-hmm. about ethical swearing. I think this... What? we talked. Yeah, did I not talk to you about my thing about ethical swearing? I don't think so. Okay, all right. I apologize if this has already been mentioned on the podcast. But ever since like the start of artifact scene, I've always taught myself, maybe I should swear a lot in my videos. Um, from the for, for the reason that what I am doing on the face of it sounds scientific but isn't because like we're, we're world building we're not like I'm not telling people good science per se uh, I'm just telling yeah. people like here this is what we know from science here's how we can kind of kind of sort of mess with a bit to like produce all of these like hypothetical results so I always told the idea of like if I swear a lot in my videos it'll stop those videos getting used in educational settings Um. <laughs> Because I had I had I, well, it's not. that not? What do you want? Is that not? Re- you, you, <laughs> is that not a, a really good idea. I thought that was a really good idea.
1: I, okay. I guess All right. Listen like, up, you f- kids. All right, we're gonna f- learn today.
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I I remember the uh, I made a video about what's in orbit, and I got right. an email from someone being like, uh, I my professor showed us this in class today. And, like, there were, part of me was kind of like, that's really great. But the other part of me was like, man, my stuff shouldn't be in a classroom. Like, that's, like, okay. If that's it, up for the professor to decide.
1: Not you. Uh,
0: mm, I, I think it is up for me to decide because I, I can't spend the words to every single time I make a point always say, by the way, this isn't, you know, accurate science or linguistics like i like all the videos oh, yeah. were treble oh. in length so i can't say that so ergo on the face of it you might look at it and be like yeah that's that's that that is presented like a you know an informative short video outlining all the details but i don't know
1: but it's 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 not your responsibility to make sure that that professor does their job correctly and and chooses good chooses good materials yeah. you never know they may have uh like made those caveats themselves
0: well that's fair but taking it away from the professor let's let's do it to like a learner at home like someone who is doing right. i don't know orbital mechanics in high school if that's a thing uh they yeah. go home they look on youtube and they're like oh his video on orbits that's really interesting but again I, I like because i'm not spending the words to explain every time Like like this is a gross simplification of what is actual science because we don't want to do calculus here um, yeah, that that sometimes makes you feel but, bad. Anyhow, long was,
1: if, it, oh, sorry, one. No matter if you did swear, if if you cursed every other word, someone could still use your materials in that situation if they're going home and looking at it themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah, the cursing stops the professor situation, uh, or, or yeah. stops the situation of like, uh, and it also just makes it seem less academic and less kind of like this is education. It it puts it more into the realms of um of entertainment. Um, anyhow, edutainment edutainment Anyhow, point being point being uh this is all to say this is why i chose the title of types of conlang because if i thought i thought about calling it like language types but then i was like someone who is just interested in linguistics is going to look at this and be like this is what the language types are when i'm making gross simplifications to just try and present like five or six neat small boxes to conlangers, not to actually try and uh, reveal what actual linguists think about the state of language in the world. So this is why I went with types of conlang to signal to people that this is not a linguistic video. Under that, guys, do you still think it's misleading? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's worrying. (laughs) I I still think I made the right call. It's just I totally get how it can be misleading, but I still think types of language have been lending too much legitimacy to a thing that's about conlanging. Not to say that conlanging. But, but you make all
1: those caveats in the video itself several times.
0: Uh, well, there's but again, there's not a lot I don't caveat. Like, uh, polysynthetic languages, for example, I don't really get into what makes them polysynthetic at all, and the stuff that I say is like correct but on a very cursory reading of it because the purpose is to just is to just literally outline you know here's your boxes bang 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 you'll need to know this for future conlang videos so there's a whole lot about polysynthetic yeah. languages that from the perspective of like say hardcore conlangers who are into making them is in quotes wrong and again I didn't make caveats there because we'll be making caveats all day long uh, so I thought that calling it conlang was the right call uh, but clearly not and that's terrible. So I apologize, internet. Um, I'm sorry. I'll do better next time. <laughs> so the other point, the second point, is Chinese, Oh, Chinese. How it has been the bane of my existence. Uh, I got torn apart on Reddit, and for good reason too. Like I'm not, I'm not bitter at all. Like I think it's great that people point me out, point out my stuff, and keep me on my toes. But I got.
1: Hey, demolish. Yeah, go on. Anger. How it has been the bane of your existence.
0: How it has been
1: what? How?
0: I don't understand. Because
1: that's the Chinese that's that's the Mandarin word for I probably butchered the the tones here, but that's the Mandarin word for good. How?
0: Ah. Ha. Huh. You probably a? have butchered the tones, and all of all of the internet's going to get onto you, man.
1: People care about Chinese; it's crazy. Um, anyway, was well, uh, butch- good. I was what? pretty good at the tones when I when I I was pretty good at the tones when I did Chinese. You did Chinese? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah, how I did, far? I did how... a summer course in in, Chi- in Chinese when I was like sixteen. Ha! Huh. Wow. Why? I don't know. There was a bunch of courses, and that was the one that seemed kind of cool. <laughs> Hmm. Interesting. You're pretty good at tones. Mm. A, a digression before we start talking about
0: uh, Chinese in relation to the video. Um, I had the privilege, uh, in my old job of uh doing a video with uh, like a ten-year-old or is it, he's eleven now. I think I think eleven-year-old uh, like prodigy child of a pianist. All
1: right.
0: And uh, he, he's a Chinese, he's a Chinese Irish uh, chap. And he's a lovely kid. and The family are amazing and really cool. And uh, he, he had this concert going on and it was to celebrate Chinese New Year. So we had the idea of doing a video both in English and in Chinese. And it was really fascinating listening to himself and his mother um, work on his Chinese. Because he's not like, he's a fluent speaker, but he hasn't developed the nuanced um, tonal approach yet yeah and it was and like it was really interesting hearing his mother say things like oh yeah you need to say this word with five going to three so i had always like taught that this idea of breaking tones into like a hierarchical hierarchical numerical system was kind of just the way people explained it but it was really interesting to see native chinese speakers thinking about their tones like that because i had always assumed that they would just kind of make the sound and be like replicate this sound and then the person would replicate yeah. it and they'd say yes or no based on how accurate it is. But they, they have like Because when you're teaching analy- English,
1: you don't say, Oh no, you have to voice that that consonant.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We don't say, Yeah, please devoice all plosives before unvoiced uh, like alveolar stops. Like that's just not a thing that happens. But they have this like analytical system based on my like sample case of one so you know there's problems there but that was fascinating to listen to it was really interesting and how and I think I find it supremely interesting that they can tell the difference from say like a tonal dip from like say five going to four or whatever and like five going to one like the difference in how drastic the tonal shift is is really audible yeah. to them 5-1 sounds perfect oh uh, <laughs> oh god all right. If any musicians out there got that joke, well done. If you didn't get that joke, I'm not explaining. It, it was a terrible joke. It was a terrible joke. <laughs> Anyhow, so uh, fascinating thing uh, with the uh, uh, with Chinese here. But anyway, in the video, uh, I knew I wasn't going to pronounce my Chinese correctly because the tone things just I don't I don't get them. Um, so I kind of just made no attempt to get it right. Uh, I just said the things and was kind of like, this will be a really fun thing where people call out and be like, oh, look at the silly guy. He can't pronounce Chinese. Isn't it hilarious that he pronounced T as W or whatever? And this is not what happened, right? Like people were angry. People were like, don't do this on the Internet. And I was like, sh**. And I I was really kind of like, oh, I've messed up here. So I have made a New Year's resolution, so to speak. And I think it's an interesting one. I am thinking about attempting to try and get native speakers to speak anything that needs to be said in the video. Okay. I think this would be a good call to do. It'll probably add a lot to my workload. and I'll have to like, you know, cold call a whole load of people on like the Chinese subreddit, for example. Um. But if I can get people to actually just be like, hey, could you record this sentence into your phone and send it to me? That'd be awesome. I think that would be better and much more representative and the idea of just like making a joke all the fact that I can't speak Chinese is like after uh the Chinese gate instance uh, isn't viable anymore I think that's yeah I think I learned my lesson <laughs> so what, what do you think like getting getting out would you feel perturbed if you had other voices on Artifexian that aren't that aren't me no no
1: I'd welcome it I'm sick of you
0: no. yeah I think I think it's all there The Um, the problems...
1: uh, Would there be a technical problem with with maintaining audio quality?
0: I would be willing to overlook that. And I think most people would because, like, when I think of videos like, say, Vox's videos, links in the show notes if you're interested, they often call people, like, professors and things. And these people don't have sound equipment. Uh, So they're usually in their room using the built-in mic uh the laptop and it kind of just becomes part of the vibe so if you do it consistently enough and like you know microphones on phones are good like they're not terrible um yeah you know i i think it it could work and i suppose maybe taking the hit on the audio quality for a small little segment is worth actually being like hey this is what Chinese actually sounds like, as opposed to me purposely, purposely butchering it for the sake of humor. That just didn't land at all. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I think that's the thing that we should try and do. It's, it'll be really tough if it's like, oh, here, uh, let me see. I am going to uh, speak about ancient Sumerian and now I'm going to cut to some native ancient Sumerian speaker. and That's just not going to be a thing, you know?
1: No, no, it won't. But I mean, you could ask a uh sumerologist. A sumerologist. Yeah, it's oh. someone
0: who studies Sumeria. Oh, yeah, I could. It's a good word, I, isn't I, it? It's a good word. I love, I love the ology words. Just like tack ology onto a thing and just make these weird and wonderful words. I love it. Um, so anyway, that was that's point two. I wanted to bring up apologies, internet, for totally butchering the Mandarin language. And also endeavouring to do that better. Uh, final point, which isn't in the show notes, but I'm going to bring up under the guise yeah. of uh, what's called being sensitive to other cultures. Because I don't actually know what the correct answer is here, and I'm hoping that you might, or hoping someone in the reddit is. Okay. People people who are indigenous to the cold parts of America, Bill. What do you call them? Inuits. Inuits. Okay. the The term... Uh, Eskimo, is that offensive?
1: Um, I think it usually is, yes. I think there are maybe some groups that, that identify closer to that than to Inuit. I don't know, but it's generally a term to be avoided as far as I understand. See, because
0: it, it's interesting. I talk... Cause so with all these things about like what like certain languages are called or what certain cultures call themselves, I always just defer all expertise to someone smarter than me. So usually I try and use the terminology that I find in various papers. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is that in one of the papers I was using to make that video, uh, the writer used the term Eskimo and Native uh, American Indian all the, right. all the time in their paper. And so I was just like, okay, well, they've written a paper. So, I mean, you know, like, th- they know more than I. And then I put it in the video, not thinking anything of it. And I got a couple, not not too many, but a couple of responses being like, that's really, really inappropriate. And I was like, oh, crap. Is it? Is it? Mm. But it's in a paper. So it's a weird one. I don't know where to stand here. And I, I, I did some research into it, like like you said, about how uh, it's sometimes offensive if it's kind of blanket. It's a blanket term over anyone in the cold parts of the, uh, Northern America, but certain groups are Eskimo as far as I can tell. And I think I was talking about those groups, but it just seems like it's this very, like it's this like hugely thriving cultural area that it's very hard to like categorize, which we should, we shouldn't categorize obviously. But, uh,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, it's useful to have words to talk about things very specifically, you know? I mean, it's not like... You're, you're reducing everything to a single word for all purposes. But, you know, if it happens to be the appropriate word or the, the appropriate grouping for talking about a certain thing, then, you know, it's good to have a word for that grouping.
0: That's fair, yeah, that's fair. So, I- anyways, in summation, just to make sure this doesn't go on too long about Edgar talking about how he's ap- uh, sorry for everything. Uh, Internet. Apologies for misleading title. Internet. Apologies for not being able to speak Chinese. Internet. Apologies for, like, perhaps offending uh, Inuits and uh, Native Americans. I don't know. I still don't know. I still can't find any definitive thing, and no one is, has any consistent opinions. But, like, apologies for all those things. I'm sorry. But at the same sense, the video did really well. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Again, like, I think people, like, had so much, found so much value from it, even though there was all these points that, like, the more... Um, inside baseball people pointed out. So just to put them on the podcast to make, you know. What's
1: inside baseball?
0: Inside baseball means you are heavily involved in a sphere. In like, you know, like uh, if I talk to you about the nuances of like football rules that no one would really know unless you were really, really, really into football, that would be an inside baseball thing. Or if, you know, I started talking to you about quantum entanglement and, like, all the various maths that goes on there. That's a real inside baseball sort of thing. Okay. Does that make sense? Have you never heard that phrase before? Never. Huh. Okay, inside baseball. It means that you're heavily involved in a endeavor and you know a lot about it. And, in general, most people outside of that sphere don't care about your minutiae. That's kind of like an inside baseball. Um, okay. So... Yeah, anyway, there you go. That's what I just want no world building for me, I'm sorry, I just want to put all that on the podcast. And unless you have any other points to bring up, shall we motor into the green room? I think
1: we should go to the green room. Let's do it. Something fun happened the other day. A few days ago. Oh. I um I encountered an Artifaxa fan in the wild.
0: No way. Yeah. Ha! Huh.
1: Do tell. I want to hear. It. It was actually on Facebook. Okay. In one of the groups I'm in, one of the the linguistics groups that I'm in, um, I can't say the name on air, um. And uh, someone commented on one of the threads, and I was like, "Wait a second! What's that profile picture? Is that profile picture what I think it is?" And the profile picture was what I thought it was. Do you know what? It, do you know what it was? No, like, no. It, it might bring us back to the last episode and the episode before oh yes yes it was Bill Paulian <laughs> it was a Bill Paulian exactly oh my god oh my god whoever you are dear person thank you uh, I won't give the full name but Graham if you're listening hello and uh, nice to meet you online Graham you're the best
0: person. Thank you so much. You've filled my heart with joy today. This is amazing. And the fact that it was like Bill Polian and then Bill encounters the Bill po- I just It's so good.
1: <laughs> it was a weird experience for me, but I enjoyed it. That's
0: oh, amazing. That's class. That's really, really cool. Uh, it's, it's fun meeting Artifacts of Fans. Um, it is. It's really cool. And it's, it's fun when they, because this is how it only ever happens. It, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, mm. you know, any times I've been recognized as suddenly, like, Artifact's fine. You're like, oh, my God, this is cool. This is, just, this is really fun. Um, wait until they start spotting you in the street, Bill. That's going to be interesting.
1: Yeah, but see, most of them won't know what I look like. You you put your face up all the time. I don't. Yeah. I've got one old photograph on the website, and then... No, in fairness, I actually did a very accurate picture of me, but it's it's just it was just a, a drawing. It wasn't a, a photograph of me, so... Whether I'm whether I am um, capable of being recognised, I don't know. Uh,
0: to be fair, that picture of you is now gone. Has been replaced
1: with a Bill Polian picture. All right. Well, there we go. <laughs> you didn't tell me you were doing that.
0: <laughs> I no, I did. I was like, "Cam, did we... you? Yeah, I no, I totally did." Oh, I was fair like, enough. I'm thinking about updating the pictures to my artifacts in the alien. And would you be okay with me putting Bill Polian there? And you said yes, and I was like, "Thank you."
1: <laughs> mm, fair enough.
0: <laughs> no, because I, I, if I didn't ask you for your permission first, you, you know, that's potential to cause arguments. So I like no, no. I, got, I got your, you can check the messages. I, I, got your. No, permission. no, I, I trust you. I trust you. Um, that's cool. Thanks, Graham. That's really cool. Um, so speaking of Artifexia, Bill, I have mm-hmm. a uh related story that I thought, uh, I might share.
1: Yeah.
0: I met up with a guy called Brian. Uh, Brian is a YouTuber who runs the Real Engineering YouTube channel. Check it out. Links in show notes. Uh, it's a great channel. Like, it's really well made and his videos are really informative. They're just, they're amazing. And the channel is huge. Like, it's I think he has something like uh, 700, 800,000 subscribers. Like, it's, oh, cool. it's a very, very big channel. Yeah, yeah. And it's been amassed in the space of a year. So, like... His stuff just blew up, like, out of nowhere. It was brilliant. Um, And so the guy's Irish. So I I thought I'd chance my arm one evening, just email and say, hey, if you happen to live in Dublin, want to meet up, talk YouTube. Uh, And it turned out that that was feasible. So we met up the last day, and we talked a lot about YouTube. And it was super interesting listening to someone who is, like, doing this professionally, like, properly professionally, listen to them talk about their methodology and you know what they do and strategies and things like that it was it was really really interesting um but any the, the most interesting thing that kept like getting pointed out to me was that although artifexian artifexian is a small channel it's like the view counts on my videos are like surprisingly good like, for non-viral videos, in the sense yeah. that Brian Brian kept making this point, like, that you seem to have, like, real, like, loyal fans. And I know that sounds really like, words like loyal fans seem kind of like, you know, it has bad connotations, but just people who seem to, like, care about the, the thing I make. And that's not something that every channel has. Like, lots of channels will go through extreme highs and then utter lows, because no one's really there for the consistent sort of can't wait for the next video, sort of thing. So he kept yeah. praising, uh, Artifexia and the Artifexian audience, and that just made me feel class. And I knew this already because I knew that I can always bank on a certain amount of views per video because I knew people want. I know people want to watch it, but to have an outside source say, "Hey, you've got a really great audience," was just brilliant. And I just want to pass on to to Artifexia, these are awesome. Like genuinely and quantifiably, you're awesome people. Uh, and this is a privilege that a lot of YouTubers, even big ones, don't necessarily have, that people will consistently come back and consistently want to watch the stuff a person makes. So I am in a unique position and it's like an honor. And I just want to say thanks to Artifacts. Yeah. So to every single Artifacts fan out there, thank you.
1: Uh, I, I agree. I mean, I, I didn't know that the, the metrics and, and the, the statistics were, were so positive, though I'm not surprised. Um, but we've also got a really nice kind of fan community. I think like people are sound. Like we, we we don't have we don't have obnoxious people appearing in the Reddit. We don't have obnoxious comments on YouTube all that often. It's uh, yeah,
0: but <laughs> I I mean I mean some of my more widely viewed videos have had some uh f- uh flavorful comments on them. But that's just I think it's just what happens yeah. when you open it up to a wider community. But I think the like the kind of the core people who have been around since the very beginning and who kind of get yeah. the sort of like world building thing. Yeah, they're really sound. And particularly the subreddit as well because it's a sm- much much smaller audience size.
1: Uh, yeah. Where I feel like me, I only see the podcast stuff on YouTube. Right. I don't I don't see as as much of the the like the main YouTube uh, video channel stuff. Um but from my perspective, you know, we 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 have a a very pleasant community of comprised of pleasant individuals. Yeah.
0: And the thing is, what's really cool, I think, at various points throughout making this podcast, we have disagreed with our audience, uh, with people uh, on various points. Uh, The latest example, I think, would be, I disagreed uh, quite strongly with uh, a user, Zen10, about various points in Star Trek. And what's class, I think, is that we can, like, battle it out and have this debate Amongst ourselves, you know, I think this and I think that and here's why and that and nothing ever, nothing ever gets like nasty. Like no one ever crosses the line where it's like, you know, we start name calling things like like, we're willing to have solid debates. And I think that's really cool. And so it's just it's just great. And like, again, to have someone else who's outside of the sphere, just look at it from like an outsider and be like, actually, this is really good. Like, this is a real amazing thing you got there. Is just it's just great it's just so good like I can't I can't emphasize that enough and I can't I can't like pass that on strongly enough to greater artefacts like it's it really meant a lot like and it's been playing on my mind for the past few days I've been really kind of like do you know what there is a possibility that this thing might actually work out in the long run uh, and that's a really cool feeling to have you know
1: yeah absolutely um, lads thanks for being sound
0: thanks for being sound thanks for not being
1: <laughs> you have uh, to bleep that out so no one will know what you said
0: <laughs> I know, yeah, exactly
1: <laughs> um, um, I have to apologise though because uh, oh. uh, on that, that thread the Reddit thread for the episode about Star Trek I, I think I may have accidentally come across as though I was telling something that someone what they said was garbage and I didn't mean <laughs> that I meant that the theme song to the Enterprise was garbage but i was writing the answer very quickly while i was on but be- on on the way between two of my jobs and i i was like a little bit behind schedule and i was like no oh, no i don't think that that is garbage and i meant that the song was garbage not not their opinion and i'm sorry if i came across as rude
0: i think oh this is a, this is turning into a very lovey-dovey green room here but <laughs> i think that yeah i, I remember that comment uh, i don't think it read like that like oh I took it as in I would I thought that you think that the song is garbage, not that you think the commenter's opinion is garbage. Um, oh god! Uh, if if the commenter took it up that way, please say this to Bill. Like give out to Bill as much as you want. I I, I give you permission. It's totally cool. <laughs> You're so kind,
1: Edgar.
0: I am. I am. Um, but yeah, so, so there's good, uh, the yeah. The, so that's I suppose two points in our effects. Here you met an art effects fan, and then I. uh I met a, a YouTuber, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, do you have anything else? Anything else at all? Or ca- um, can I do the thing that I've been waiting to do for like literally two let years? Me
1: think. He's going to take I've his been time been now. Watching. What have I been reading? <laughs> uh, I got back into Mad Men. I'm watching that again. Uh, okay, go ahead. and Do the thing. <laughs>
0: Actually, actually,
1: oh no, I uh, oh,
0: can, can I make can I bring up snow crash? Yeah, go for is, it. Is that terrible? Do you have time to talk about snow crash? Of course, we do. Well, what time is it? Yeah, it's only two o'clock. We've only been doing this for three it's hours. Like three hours. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's good. Uh,
0: the okay, snow crash, it's a book. Uh, by it is who wrote the book? Neil Stevenson. Neil Stevenson. Uh, so spoilers ahead for people, just you know, uh, watch out. Um, Have you read the book, sir?
1: I've read that book many
0: times. (laughs) I think that's a good thing, then. I think you enjoyed this book.
1: I mean, I haven't read it in years and years and years. Uh, I read it over and over from the age of about 13 to 16. Really? Um, Yeah.
0: Uh, What was it that that caused this, like?
1: I just thought it was cool.
0: Uh, It's... I don't know where I stand with this book it is like it, it like i'm not to be clear i like the book i'm not saying it's bad at all but it's like i'm not sure if it's like genius or crazy um it, it, it blurs this line it's like i'm not sure if it's like really great world building or just mm-hmm. like madness like there's so much going on in this book uh, as a brief tldr
1: uh, of the book for people, uh, which, which is going. I'm curious to, be, to see to see someone attempt this. Okay. Which I
0: was just about to say, this is this is probably not going to go very well. Uh, but uh, okay, in the briefest way I can possibly do this is we have two main characters, mm-hmm. one of which, and this is I think literally the case, a sword fighting a samurai sword wielding computer hacker pizza delivery guy, mm-hmm. and the other being like a skate punk espionage runner for the mafia uh these I two guess, are, yeah. yeah these two are the main characters and leaving out a whole ton of complexity at the middle there's like this religious figure at the end who is seeking to spread this thing called the neuro virus amongst the population and the the book deals with figuring out what this virus is and the culminating point is that they, they take care of it and the bad guy doesn't sort of win. That TLDR is leaving out a whole ton of nuance in the middle. And most of the greatness about this book is in the describing how this neuro-linguistical neuro-lingu- virus works and mm-hmm. how it transmits itself and things like that. Uh, but there's so much more to it. Like there's a whole, there's like this alternate, they basically have like second life. Second life is a thing in their world. It's like this, they call it the metaverse and they can go there and have digital avatars and the plot Mm -hmm. functions there. They have like cybernetic dog things that act as like security things and then there's a whole load of, there's a whole load of weirdness going on. (laughs) So I don't know. I feel like I need to read this thing a couple of times to actually be able to appreciate it because yeah, it's just, it's so dense and it's so philosophical and there's so much in it like from computer science to linguistics to like, just to like it's crazy like it's absolutely crazy and again I'm not entirely sure if this is brilliance or madness
1: that you, you're going to get that a lot with Neil Stevenson <laughs> I've read most of his books um, is, is he a bit of I an, haven't read the most recent one.
0: Is Stevenson a bit of a one trick pony in that it's always kind of linguistic computers future stuff
1: no, um language comes up a lot. Language does come up a lot. Um computers comes up a lot. So no, sorry. Computers comes up a lot. Language comes up sometimes. Um but he wrote he wrote a book um about uh kind of about currency, I guess, and computers called Crypt and and Cryptography called Cryptonomicon, which is set there's two timelines. It's yeah. set partially in the Second World War and partially around 1998, which it was like around the time it was written. Um, and that's, that's quite it. I haven't read it in a couple of years, but uh, I, I again, I, I really liked it when I was like 17. Um, then he wrote a sequel series to that. Well, he, he wrote a, a, a series connected to that afterwards called The Baroque Cycle, which was three volumes set between 1660 and 1720. Um, but basically building on the same themes. huh uh, yeah, uh, I reread some of that recently. um well I've, I have a lot of thoughts about it. Uh, and he wrote so he wrote snow Crash, he wrote another book called The Diamond Age, which is p- potentially a kind of a sort of a distant sequel to snow Crash, like not not in terms of plot or characters or anything, but a potential like a future of the setting, uh, but dealing with very different stuff. Um, he's got a very good book called Anatheme, which is a science fiction story about, a f- it's essentially about platonic idealism, uh, about like the, hmm. the philosophical concept of platonic idealism. It's kind of like a science fiction name of the rose kind huh. of, yeah. Um, yeah, his, his books, they, they have a lot of information in them. And he's yep. not shy about just, like, dumping in information about stuff. And that's part of what I really like about it. Like, he doesn't care that it's, in a lot of ways, that would be considered bad writing. He just puts it in. And that's what I like about it, that he doesn't care about it. And he, he he's obviously passionate about this topic. And he's going to bang on about it for a while.
0: Yeah, that was one of my not-so-favorite parts of the book. Uh, in the middle of it... Um... Uh, Hero, hero protagonist, our main character, uh, what you call it, goes into this like digital library and he basically talks to this librarian avatar thing. And the whole thing is just an excuse to basically dump a whole lot lot about ancient Sumerian culture. Um, I'm not sure if it's real world ancient Sumerian culture or his fictional... Iced version of ancient Sumerian
1: culture. I don't know what it is. I, I think the mythology stuff is accurate.
0: Right, okay. But yeah, obviously them constructing a meta virus isn't. Like I get that much, but like I I don't know how much is like accurately represented. But in any case, um that bit I felt a little bit tiresome. Where you know the hero would be like, Oh, what is uh I don't know, what is the Nam Shub of Enki? And then the librarian's gonna be, Well, let me tell you, the Nam Shub of Enki yeah. is a and then it just goes on, and I'm like. This isn't a book. This isn't. It's, this is an instruction manual. This is like an. Edu- <laughs> it's a, it's like the educational tome. Like I should be taking a college course for this. It wasn't terrible. Like it was the the his, his twisting of ancient Sumer was uh, engaging enough that I could put up with that. But yeah. had it not been such a wildly like a wild out there idea, I would have put the book down and been like, I'm not being lectured to in a sort of. Weir's Martian sort of sense where it's a whole load of numbers and information dump,
1: you know? Hmm. Um, funny thing about, about this, uh, about this book, um, it wasn't the first person, uh, the first work or anything to use Avatar to refer to someone's, um, like, online representation. But it was, he he coined it independently, I think, and it was the one that mm. popularized it. So the, the, when we say like an avatar on a forum or something, that's from Snow Crash.
0: I mean, I had a look at the Wikipedia page a while ago and it seems like Snow Crash has inspired so much um, in the digital world. Like so much yeah. of it can be drawn to Snow Crash, which is, that's an amazing feat as a writer yeah. to have such a influence on modern life. Uh, the, <laughs> the, oh, sorry. After you? Uh, the canonical example is that uh, I mentioned earlier, Second Life, the mm-hmm. game alternate reality thing that was big. Is still big, I don't know, but it was big I've a no few idea. years ago. Um, and yeah. that is, I think that's literally just like they wanted to recreate his metaverse, his
1: virtual reality. That was explicitly their intention.
0: I think that's the case, oh, I yeah. I not know that, cool. It's very much that like they're like, oh, that metaverse thing is cool, let's do that I and mean, let's call it Second Knife. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, There's
1: a bit in one of his later novels, in one of his more recent ones called um, Reamde, um where he's talking about uh it it's set it's set in the real world um and he's talking about google earth and he like you know, the character turns on the the program google earth and you know it zooms in and like you know you, you see the the earth rise up from like kind of the blacker space and you you zoom in down to the surface uh, to wherever you're viewing and he says uh oh it was you know the 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 classic google earth opening sequence inspired by some old science fiction novel hmm the old science fiction novel that inspired the Google Earth opening thing, actually, and the concept of Google Earth, is Snow Crash.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, because you know the way he has that planet <laughs> thing in in his library.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's crazy. Can imagine, you imagine leaving that much of a mark in the world? It's crazy. It's pretty and cool, isn't it? Uh, but, so the, the main thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, and uh, by extension, the listeners... Uh, what do you think of the centralized premise of this book like this whole like the the meta thing and that like you can uh you can like i'm gonna i'm gonna do i'm not gonna do justice in trying to tl the orders but like you can speak a certain tongue and that has the effect of like directly getting into your brain your your spinal cord or whatever and like reprogramming how you're how you work like essentially literally a neuro linguistic virus what what do you think about like that do you think that it's like a little bit too far down the fantasy road or fine What what's your thoughts Well,
1: I, mean, I don't think it's plausible but i think it works fine as a, as a cyberpunk conceit do
0: you think there was times where i was a little bit drawn out of it like when they mentioned like oh yeah like you speak the nam of enki and then it like it, it like you know it affects your b- yeah. like brain canal. I'm like ah ah lads like what what are you talking about? This is and I get that it's science fiction and it's cyberpunk, but there is a there comes a point That's where it's kind of like post cyberpunk post you're, cyber yeah, yeah. You're uh, but there comes a point where it's like this is a bit a bit too crazy. I think
1: yeah I don't know I know I I, I, I mean know. again like uh, well, this is a thing I read originally half my life ago so um to To say that it has had a formative influence on me would would not be an overstatement. Um, so it may be hard for me to be objective about it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I I see what you mean, and it is kind of a silly idea, but you know, I think it works fine. Uh, do you um, know what... and it it ties in nicely to uh ideas about like mimetics and how like information and ideas are literally viral, like they're oh sorry not literally viral, but they they behave virally. And this is just kind of a more literal uh, iteration of that. yeah. Um, and, you know, the whole William Burroughs thing of language is an alien virus. You know, it, it, and that's all stuff that I'm quite interested in already. So it, it, it folds all that stuff together nicely.
0: It does. I just still think it takes it to a, a little bit too much of a silly, a silly extreme. But again, like, right. like, he sets up the whole world that... It, it, like, it's quite, sit, like, satirical anyways. Like, the whole idea, like, the guy is a... The main guy is called hero protagonist. He delivers pizzas, and he's the best sword fighter in the world. And all of this sort of craziness.
1: Yeah. I don't I don't think he he actually is, to be honest. He just kind of likes to think of himself as such.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. But but in any way, this is a thing that is brought up. So, I think yeah. at the very start, you're immediately aware that this is not entirely a... Like... Not serious, but it's like more satirical. So I suppose when you get to the damn shove of Enki bit, you're kind of like, okay, he's going to be a bit silly here. That's fine. Uh, I'll tell you one bit that I really just, I just couldn't uh, suspend disbelief. I just, it it just didn't happen. Uh, When David, uh, Hero's hacker friend dies. Yeah. Because the idea being that this virus is, uh, it's like one of the forms it can take is a bitmap. And yeah. if you look at the bitmap, it'll, like, screw with your brain, and the result is you'll die. And the whole thing where he goes in, like, oh, yeah, hackers are susceptible to looking at this bitmap and being able to understand the black and white dots because they think in binary. And I'm like, no. <laughs> what do you mean they think in binary? Are you telling me computer scientists sit there and go 011001100? 1, 1, 0, 0, 1, 1, 0, like, no. No. Yeah. It's just that was ridiculous. Like, and the fact that like a huge, not a huge, but a big chunk of like the driving force, like when that guy died, was was caused by this sort of really silly idea. I was kind of like, ah, Stevenson, I don't know about this one.
1: Yeah. No, that, I agree. That's that's a bit. That's a bit silly. But overall... I was going a, to bring that up, actually.
0: Oh, yeah, oh, good. Um, overall, it's an excellent book and you should read it. And it's also really humorous. And, like, badass female characters. The guy who's the one-man
1: nuclear powerhouse is just hilarious. Just... Yeah, terrifying.
0: <laughs> but it's terrifying and, like, comically hilar- like, hilarious as well.
1: Yeah. You know, like... it's, there's something quite 90s about it. Like, it's, it's, it's very, like, stuff that was cool in the 90s in yeah. a lot of ways. And it's, it's, it doesn't take itself overly seriously with them
0: yeah it's like if the matrix had a sense of humor (laughs) i think
1: i see what you mean yeah i can see what i can see what you're getting at with that you're not hugely wrong
0: uh anyway read the book if you haven't read it and you've you're okay with the spoilers that we just went through read the book it's really really good i I promise you you'll enjoy it uh if you're anyway into science fiction and just be prepared for some ludicrous bits (laughs) 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 anyhow Will, can I do the thing? Can I do the thing? I want to do nope, the thing.
1: No, it's too late. Got to go. It's nearly oh. two hours of recording. Got to go. Bye. Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: the thing. I have wanted to, since the dawn of this podcast, publish a video whilst doing the podcast.
1: Right. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to open YouTube.
0: Are you going to try and get a first comment in or whatever?
1: Oh, actually, maybe. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Okay. Let's do this. So, I'll dear, dear listener,
0: I I have finished the Albedo video, uh, the one that has taken me many, 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 many days to animate. It is all ready to go. And even though Sunday morning Irish time is not a good time to publish a video, I just really want to publish it on the podcast. So there's a little record of it. Uh, so, Bill, I can hit publish at any time.
1: Go for it. I'm ready. Pub. Uh, wait. And we are <laughs> published. Published. Quick, refresh, refresh. <laughs> refresh. Cole, why are you taking so long?
0: Oh, no. no the Mapping intellects.
1: with temperature three seconds ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've, I've never six seen views? Th- How do you have six views? Uh, no, no. They count as views when I go and put in all the annotations and stuff.
1: Okay. Yeah, so I usually... Okay, we'll lay out for the first comment, quick, before someone else gets it. We'll lay out for first comment. First, obviously. No, that seems silly. That seems, no, that first, seems
0: Bill. Do it. Don't think about it, just do it, Bill. First
1: question mark?
0: <laughs>
1: you better love that.
0: I am going to... Oh, yeah, YouTube has this weird, you can love comments. Um. Are you? Have you commented as the Artifact Scene podcast or as Bill? No, McGrath? I've commented as Bill McGrath. Okay, hold on, hold on. Should I me. have commented as the podcast? No, no, no. That would have been like indulgent. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, let me let me go and uh oh, there's three comments, Bill. There's three, what? Com- three comments. You may not be first. You may have missed an opportunity. Four comments, Bill.
1: This is outrageous.
0: And YouTube being excellent as always, not showing me any of said comments. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you are not first, Bill. Someone got in. Someone got in with 14 seconds. <laughs> what? Well, goddammit. Oh, wait, no, sorry. No, no, sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry, Bill. Bill, sorry. Oh. I made I made a, grieve, a, gr- a grievous error. I, I messed up. I forgot how time works. This person commented 14 seconds ago.
1: I go? Yes, yeah, so I am first.
0: You are first. I am, yeah! I have loved your thing, and now I'm going to pin it.
1: <laughs> I have never done that before.
0: I am going to pin it up to the top, so you'll be there forevermore.
1: <laughs> Excellent. And for
0: people who watch other podcasts, I realize this gag has been done in other podcasts before. I just really wanted to do it. I think it's quite fun. <laughs> okay Bill will I will we call it there I need to go actually put call it this there. on the reddit and twitter and things so um sure thanks let's call it there and I will see you I will see you next month yeah
1: see you later bye bye Edgar out Edgar out <laughs>